0: Pray with me and we'll we'll get started. God, I've really been looking forward to speaking this Sunday morning about the topic at hand. I think I'm so excited because I'm very familiar with the questions that that are raised by by those who maybe have grown up in the church like myself. And, And at times we wonder if this is the only air I've breathed, is this right? I pray, God, that your spirit will just confirm the words that have been written here in your scripture and that we will we'll just get excited today about the truth. God, reinvigorate us. God, give us your spirit-like CPR on someone whose vital signs are slowly fading. God, we, we desperately need you, and I pray that you will just awaken us this morning to who you are. Again, we will worship all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That we desperately need you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our fifth week this morning in a sermon series that we've called the beginning of finding. And we started the sermon series because we have so many conversations with people who ask these questions. Why would anyone actually want to find God? What does it even mean to find God? Is it possible to find God? And why does it feel sometimes like God is hiding? And those are questions that, that are profound, and they're real, and oftentimes when people ask them, they're at this point of, of just like, I need an answer real quick. And I hope that the, this sermon series, hopefully for some of you, has been able to answer some of those questions. We're taking this in eight weeks, each week looking at a different character or type of person who might be asking a specific sort of question. So the first week, we looked at someone who has lost all hope. If you remember, it was a woman who had been sick for, for many years, 10 plus years, and she was in the point going, if God would let me be sick for this long, how could there really be one, right? When all hope is gone, is God worth finding? And we talked about her. Remember that Sunday? I cried half the sermon, and we were, we were talking about uh, this woman who, who had been bleeding, and then she saw Jesus, and, and she wanted to go to him, but as she went to him, he just kept walking, and then when she finally touched him, he turns around and he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you all along. You're my daughter. And so hopefully a lot of you, maybe if you were in that point, came, came realizing that even though it might look Jesus is walking away, you are his. And what does that look like for you to reach out and touch him? Uh, the second we, we looked at the person who is bound, the demon-possessed man who doesn't have intellectual questions, he's not wondering where the world came from, uh, he's just absolutely a wreck. <laughs> and he just needs liberation. He just needs God to free him. And, and hopefully, if you were in that place, you do know that God does free those who are absolutely bound. The next week, we looked at the intellectual doubter, the person who has, like myself, too many questions. <laughs> and we just can't get enough answers. How, God, how does God meet that person? How literally, like it says in 1 Corinthians, how the wisdom of God makes foolish the wisdom of man. And, and hopefully there was answers there for you. Last week, we looked at the busy person, at Martha, who's just so busy that nothing else is important. I'm just going from one thing to the next. And how God really does call us to be still and know him. And in those moments of stillness and in those moments of waiting that, that we do find God. So this week, we're looking at the person who probably grew up knowing all the answers. Um, the religious person. And so the question is, how do we find God when God is so familiar? When you hear the word God and you, you have Bible verses racing through your mind and, and you're just ready to go, <laughs> you know when to raise your hands, when to put them down, when to cry, you know, <laughs> when to tithe, <laughs> like you're ready for it. What about that person and how, how do we deal with, um, how, how do we begin finding God maybe when God is so familiar there's a song that, as I was making dinner last night, came on on my shuffle, and this was perfect. It's an old song, old as in like '97. Wow. Yep. By a band named Pedro the Lion. And the song's called Secrets of an Easy Yoke. And this is the lyrics it says, I could hear the church bells ringing, they pealed aloud your praise. The members' faces were smiling with their hands outstretched to shake. It's true they did not move me. My heart was hard and tired. Their perfect fire annoyed me. I couldn't find you anywhere. And this, is the, this is the chorus. It says, Could someone please tell me a story of sinners' ransom from the fall? I still have never seen you, and some days I don't love you at all. And I hope that today as we talk about how do we find God when God is so familiar, you are maybe able to answer some of those questions. The guy who wrote that song, David Bazan, um, my brother actually got an opportunity to, to have drinks with him after a, a concert down in Denver. My brother's a big fan of Pay the Line, and, um, and they just talked for hours about being raised in the church and challenges that come with that, and just got to hear a lot of David Bazan's angst uh, they went behind writing a song like that. And, and I know that is just, that is at the heart of a lot of people. And so I really want to talk about it honestly. There's a growing number of dechurched people in America today, and I found some statistics. After the age of 15, 59% of people raised in the church leave either temporarily or permanently. And the reasons they give were these, among others, that the church is too protective. 20% says the church that they were raised in just pretends like everything outside of the church is bad. (laughs) And so they felt it was too restrictive. Um, Some people said that Christianity was so shallow that it was... Actually, 20% said this, that that their experience of Christianity was absolutely devoid of God itself. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) This is what's going on in our churches. the last one was, the church's feels unfriendly to those who doubt. So it's 39%. Right? About 40% said that they did not feel like they could raise any doubts when they came to church. They couldn't ask questions that were burning in their hearts. And so this is the whole point behind our sermon series, The Beginning of Finding, because I want you to know that if you are in that place right now, that this is the right place for you. Uh, if you have been in that place... <laughs> This is the right place for you. And maybe if you have a friend or someone you know who's wrestling with these same questions, that hopefully this is dealing with some of those. And I encourage you, just open-door policy. If if you have more questions after this, uh, me or any of the elders would love love to talk to you um, about it. So, what does the Bible say to the person who grew up knowing all the answers? John 3 which keeps within it the most famous verse in all of Christendom, has a story for this. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 21. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. That sounds incredibly uncomfortable. (laughs) For both parties. Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nic- Nicodemus asked. <laughs> He's trying to track, but it's hard. (laughs) You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses Lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So, first let me introduce you to Nicodemus. It gives a couple of things that sketch him out, but very interestingly, if you, if you read the history of Nicodemus, there's only once where Jewish history, extra-biblical sources talk about Nicodemus. And it talks about him being the, one of the three wealthiest people in all of Jerusalem. This is how wealthy this guy is. They say, if, if needed, he could float... He could, with his money, he could make Jerusalem exist as a city. Everything going on as it always has been for ten years, on his money alone. That's how wealthy. That's that's wealthy. Okay. Uh, I could I, maybe like ten seconds. I don't. I, I can even afford that, right, for Bremerton. And Nicodemus could afford to keep Jerusalem going for 10 years on his wealth alone. So Nicodemus, first of all, incredibly wealthy man. Second of all, he's a ruler of the people. And ruler of the people isn't political government. Rome rules Jerusalem. So it means among his people, among the Jews, he is one of the people who, when they have an issue, when they have a question, they go to Nicodemus. Why? Because Nicodemus is wise. Everyone looks up to Nicodemus. Beyond that, he's a Pharisee. So not just in maybe cultural matters, but also religious matters, people go to Nicodemus because he's the guy to ask about questions concerning God. Those were the Pharisees. They, They knew every little bit about religious law. Right? The elders of the day. That was Nicodemus. So, what would convince a guy like Nicodemus, who's crazy wealthy crazy wealthy, and already super respected, why would he, in the middle of the night, go and hang out with Jesus? This doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And I, I was trying to find a comparison for this, and there really is very little comparison to draw with this. Here's a guy who has everything that's going to a construction worker in the middle of the night, who him and all of his buddies make fun of. Right? Because this construction worker, Jesus the carpenter, is preaching that the kingdom has finally come. And Nicodemus, who is powerful and wealthy and has everything going for him, has been moved to the point of wanting what this Jesus has. What would make someone do that? And I think this is what draws us to this, this question. When God is so familiar, what's the beginning of finding? And for Nicodemus, the beginning of finding was being super honest. He goes, and I believe Nicodemus came to this point where he realized that, that even though people had come to him for answers for who is God and how I know God and how I find God and how do I obey the law, so God is pleased with me, that Nicodemus knew that his own religion was not satisfying him, that he wasn't finding God, right? And that is an incredibly vulnerable place to be. And so him, being scared that anyone else might know this, tracks Jesus down in the middle of the night, and they talk. And even more than that, Nicodemus is willing to admit that not only him, but he says, We, we know that there's something special about you. But Nicodemus is the only one that goes. (laughs) Because me and all the Pharisees know that God is somehow blessing you. You're speaking truth, right? You are from, God sent you from heaven to us for some way. Why is this so intimidating? It's intimidating because everything in his life hangs in the balance right now. Everything in his life hangs in the balance right now. And this, my friends, is incredibly scary. It's incredibly scary if you are a person who your whole life has been, like maybe, maybe at some point you led a Bible study in your life, or you had people that would come to you, or you were like, led the, you know, what would Jesus do, camp at your school, or you know, whatever it is, like that you are the person that people go to because maybe you are... Everyone thinks it's closer to God than anyone else. And that's where Nicodemus is. And then he goes, I'm not feeling it. (laughs) You know, I feel like everything I'm doing is just ritual. And there's no life in it. And I'm tired of this. And so he seeks Jesus out in the middle of the night. And Jesus' first response is this. He goes, Yes, Nicodemus, the way you're doing things is impossible. The way you're trying to keep up your own relationship with God isn't working. He says, I tell you the truth, no one, not even you, Nicodemus, not even with all your wealth, not when everyone comes to you to ask questions about the Bible... Not because you're the ruler of the people. No one can see the kingdom of God, not even you, unless they're born again. You're not exempt, Nicodemus, just because you look cooler than other people. That's powerful. And Nicodemus is in this place of readiness, and a lot of people aren't in this place. They're not ready to live in that scary twilight zone of going, have I believed something that isn't true? And I think Nicodemus is at that point going, I'm I'm kind of at my end, right? My money's not satisfying. My position's not satisfying. And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is going, you're right, and it's not going to satisfy. It will continue being empty. The religion you're practicing will continue to be empty. It's not going to change overnight. So you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is trying to follow him. He says, surely I can't enter the womb a second time. And what I, what I love about this is, is his child-likeness. is that he's, he's really trying hard to follow where Jesus is going. He is in this place of learning. And for us, some of us who have been teachers, that's the hardest place to be. Being in that place of going, hey... What what does this mean? (laughs) Like the questions we ask, what does it mean to actually find God? (laughs) And maybe a lot of you guys just need to raise your hand and be like, pick me! (laughs) Tell me! What does it mean to find God? Because I've been doing this a long time. And that's exactly where Nicodemus is, and you have to be in that place of faith seeking understanding. He's in the place of faith because he has seen Jesus... And he says, I've come because I know you have come from God. So there's faith there. He's like, I'm putting it all out here, but I'm seeking understanding. And this is the way Jesus meets him and explains it to him. Two things for you guys. The first is that religion is not self-motivated. It is spirit-filled. And this was the big difference between what Nicodemus was doing and what Jesus was offering, is that Nicodemus, like all who are religious, seek a self-motivated, self-fulfilling sort of spirituality, and that will never work. True Christianity, and I do use the word Christianity, and what I mean by that is, is what's being proclaimed here is never about what I can do for God. Because ultimately, religion, and what I'm defined by religion, is the way I work to please God doesn't actually need God. It's just rules that I can do. It's just a program that I can do. Is something... That depends on my ability, which I can do. And so when it fails, it's because I'm a failure. And if it succeeds, it's because I'm awesome. (laughs) And either way, that's not good. And oftentimes, we, we keep this going in the church by trying to motivate one another towards this end. And sometimes that sounds really noble. And what I mean by this is oftentimes you hear this in regards to missions. I think this all the time. So you'll hear a great motivating sermon about, like, go out and talk to people about Jesus. Well, what am I going to tell them? <laughs> I'm still going, show me Jesus. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. And, like, we'll motivate you, like, it is better to die in the mission field than live here and die, right? And, and we'll, like, motivate people, and so they'll go out and be like, okay, whew, go team, and, and, and so it's based so much upon, like, this do it. If you don't do it, you're wretched. <laughs> and that's, that's, not, that's not at all the way God is motivating people. There's this beautiful quote by John Piper, and he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. <laughs> and that, that, just to complete that thought, that's why we do missions, is because... We are worshiping people that long for others to worship this God who we found. That's the only reason. That's the only reason why we do missions. Nicodemus grew up hearing stories about God, the God of Israel. Nicodemus grew up eating the Passover and looking forward to the Messiah. But Nicodemus grew tired of showing up every week. And he knew if this was it, if it was just based upon what I can do, upon my attendance at church or all these things, he knew that it wasn't worth it. And it truly isn't. (laughs) It really isn't. And yet that's not what Jesus is offering. What Jesus is offering is spirit-filled. And this is what I mean by this. So what Jesus says is he goes, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom unless he is born of water and the spirit. And what he means by this is literally the water is just, water breaks, baby's born, natural birth. Some commentaries go crazy and think it's baptism. It's not. And you see that in the very next verse. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So he goes, you're here, you exist, you're a human being. But what does it take to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? What does it it mean to be born again? Do you want to know what it means to be born again? This is literally what it means. Okay, in Genesis 2.17, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, God clearly said, he says, if you eat of the tree, you're surely going to die. And when they ate of the tree, it's not that they like passed away right away. There's something that was far more painful that happened, that was separation from God. And I believe that 100%. And we still... We bear the wreckage of that day-to-day in our lives, in the world. We live in a world that exists in profound separation from God. And that is the death that we experience on a day-to-day basis, even while we're breathing. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, As for you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. This is your existence, Right? Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And this gift of God, which is eternal life, is his offer through what Jesus did, which is made alive through the Spirit for you to be born again. In John 1, 12 through 13 it says, To all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but people born of God. And that is the offer that is being made here. So how does this happen? Because it doesn't happen by you going, well, I've done enough good things. We're going to get into that. I always steal points from later. But it's not because you have finally achieve this, like, level 12 in Mario, and you're ready to, like, receive spirit and be born again. (laughs) It's the Spirit's own transforming work in your life. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it's this beautiful verse. It just says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is Freedom. Right. And being born again is coming, and first of all, like Nicodemus, realizing that all your efforts have done nothing more but bind you more. They, they haven't been successful, and they haven't been freeing. They haven't given you life. And at some point, you have to give up your religious practices that makes you think you can do it. And you have to come to God, like Nicodemus, <laughs> and go... What does this mean? And, and he's going, this is what he's answering. He's saying, it's not going to happen unless you are born of the Spirit. Because you have lived, lived so much in separation from him. And you need him to make you alive. And, and we're going to deal with this in the next point, which is this. Which is, it's not your goodness that saves you and your goodness that gives you the Spirit, but it is Jesus who saves you. And this this is, like, simple, but I hope this is like, revolutionizes you right now because this is the way Jesus deals with it. He deals with it with John 3.16. And for you who grew up in the church, you, you, like, dream this. Right? It doesn't take much for you to just rattle off. So how, how does this save? Um, so first I'm going to say how it doesn't, and then I'm going to say how it does. And the first is how it doesn't is the way we've made it. There was a study done with 3,000 high schoolers, and I think high schoolers are just a great litmus test of us all. Um, they usually say things that none of us would, but we probably want to. Um, and... And from the results of this 3,000-person this survey, this is what they came up with. This is the religion of our generation. And they call it moral therapeutic deism, if you want to know the name for it. It's this. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over the earth. Like, that sounds good. Second is God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most other world religions. You're like, being nice, that sounds nice. Third, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Well, I want to feel good about myself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to solve a problem. And the last is that good people go to heaven when they die. So it's basically this. There's a God who wants people to get along, and feel good about themselves, and that is all he cares about and if you do that then you get to spend the rest of your life with him and and honestly that is predominantly what religion in america has and that's what's so often and this I'll, i'll just explain why this doesn't work the first is god isn't just happy with you when you are good it's not and what is good right it's not like Well, I've never watched a PG-13 movie. Right? Well, I've drank in two beers, but I never drank three because I know when I drink three, I get really tipsy and I know that would not be glorifying to God. Right? I smoke pipes because that's really educated and C.S. Lewis does that, but never cigarettes because that's bad for you. Right? And then there there might be some worse things. Well, you know, I, I thought mean things, but I've never really killed somebody. Right, And you know what this turns into? This turns into this crazy elitism where you're only comparing yourself to other people. Well, I'm not Hitler, but I'm not Mother Teresa. Give me a few more years. And what this means is that God then, get this, God then owes me something. And this is at the root of that. And you will talk to people, and this sounds so innocent. Well, well, how could God condemn me if I am good? (laughs) And what that is saying is I have been just good enough that God owes me a relationship with him. And he owes me heaven. And it was his fault for creating me, so he's stuck with me. And and that is, that is, (laughs) that is the religion of America today. And, and we succumb to that. And we're all like, those people. That's us. That, that is us. That's me on a daily basis going, well, I'm not not as bad as that guy. And I help people. <laughs> so it's a self-defined religion, and this religion does not save. And most importantly, this religion... That thinks that goodness will save will never, ever lead to a true encounter with the Almighty God. Never will. It will give you happy moments when you've done well, and it will give you bad moments when you've done poorly, but it will leave you alone. So, what Jesus offers is something very different. What Jesus offers is Himself. How audacious is that? For God so loved the world, he sent me. (laughs) That was what Jesus was saying. That whoever believes in Jesus won't perish, but have eternal life. Imagine this. Nicodemus receiving this message for the first time. This is crazy. This is life to the ears of an old man who is wealthy, and a ruler, and looked up to by everyone. That Nicodemus is not the Savior. He never will be. But he has now met the Savior. And That's a powerful, powerful message. It's not based on elitism. It's not based upon Nicodemus being better than other people. Nicodemus being... Uh, wealthier than other people, or more successful than other people, because God loves the whole world. And this is a message not motivated by what you can and cannot do. It's a message motivated by a God who loves and is willing to intercede on behalf of a lost and broken humanity, which He's going to be a lot more honest about than you're going to be honest about. <laughs> so when we as a church, when we, who are church people, don't want to have the conversation about what's really going on inside, God's already started the conversation in the Bible. Right? When we're scared to go, God, I don't know you right now. I <laughs> like this song. And some days, I don't love you. God's like, I know that. You're not, you're not like tricking me, making me think that every day, you're going to be princess you right? You will never be Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Or Pollyanna, depends on what generation I'm speaking to. And this ultimately answers the issue of condemnation. But the question is, why is this so threatening? Because this is threatening, and this is why we we go back to our old religion that does not work and does not satisfy and it's threatening because of this. Because grace threatens the illusion that we are free, that we are self-dependent, and that we are living life just as we please and God has to put up with that. Grace destroys that because grace is saying, if you come to the sun, I take your condemnation away. If you stay away from the sun. Condemnation's already there. And so the message of Jesus is you need grace. <laughs> and why is that not beautiful to many people? Because they, so they still want to think that we are free and we are self-dependent and we can do this by ourselves, that someday I will be good. Don't worry, Jesus. I'm coming. Someday I'm going to be good enough. Someday. And Jesus isn't buying that. And the beauty of this last verse is this. For whoever lives by the truth comes to the light. That light is exposing who they are. And it says, so that they may see plainly what, he, what they have done has not been done from them, but has been done by God. And that's the message of the gospel. It's not your goodness that saves. It is Jesus who saves. And so God is not trying to keep you in this system of going, 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 or doing, doing, doing. But he is offering you his very spirit. This is something that he's doing, and he's asking you to participate in this. Not to be the know-it-all with all the answers. You come, so many people are scared of, of coming to know Jesus because they feel like all of a sudden they have to know the answers. You don't. Or some, all of a sudden you have to be perfect. Like, like you come in and you're the only one sitting here who kicked your cat this last week. I did it so many times, you wouldn't believe it. I'm I don't have a cat. Ultimately, it is not about you. It is not about you. It is about God and his glory. (laughs) And he is doing something that is so glorious that either we come to the light and learn to expose ourselves to that and share in that, or we slink away to do whatever we can. But I encourage you guys, and this is my final encouragement, to be brave like Nicodemus. To be brave like Nicodemus and maybe raise your hand for the first time. That could be here. That could be talking with me or or one of us. uh, Or it could just be you going home and being able to vulnerably ask God, maybe for the first time in a long time, God, show me yourself. I want to be born again. God, I remember what it was like to be born again five years ago, six years ago. And I'm in that place right now feeling like it's routine, and I don't want that. And God doesn't want that for you either. That's not cool. Right? That's not Christianity. Christianity is coming to know a God who so loved the world that he gave his son in the most relational way possible. And he leaves his spirit here to bring that all alive in those people who come to Him humbly, like Nicodemus, just raising their hand and going, "I know I need more than that." So, man, I pray this for us as a church that we'll be able to be people who are vulnerable, right? Not thinking that we have to know all the answers, that we can't never ask questions. But I believe one hundred percent, man, that God answers the, those questions, and that is so so satisfying. And that leads to worship, which leads. To missions. So uh, pray with me and then we'll sing together. God, I, I pray in your mercy you'll bring to, to life these truths that we've heard, that we will get rid of just trying to do something to make you happy. And we'll receive what you have done. Which is good. God will we'll learn that. Crazy dynamic in that of how obedience follows that. And God, I pray you'll give courage to those who have come to seek you and find you with all their heart. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.